The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, it's, it's summertime. It is upon us. And with summer comes road trips, right? And there, there are a few things that we need to have at the ready for a good road trip. First of all, we need to do a little bit of planning, right? We have to know where we're going. Or if you're one of those kind of free spirit types, just like go where the road takes us, you at least need to, like, to know that, right? Or plan to sleep in the, sleep in the car, get the hotel room, whatever, whatever that's going to look like. Um, we also need some snacks, including sunflower seeds, right, which are, which are vital so that, you don't, so that I don't fall asleep at the wheel. Um, and then finally, and certainly most importantly, we need a good playlist, right? A good, a good playlist, a, a carefully curated playlist, a playlist that has been put together, crafted with the trip in mind, right? None of this haphazard, letting Pandora choose for you nonsense, right? We need a, we need a carefully crafted playlist. Well, th- this summer, we are taking a break from our Roman sermon series, and instead we're going to be opening up the book of Psalms. And in particular, we're going to be preaching through 15 Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134. These are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And these Psalms are just that. They are a carefully curated playlist given to us as God's journeying people as a gift, a gift for the journey. They're called the Psalms of Ascent because each of these 15 Psalms begins with a, a superscript that we don't see anywhere else in the Psalter. So if you, if you look at these Psalms in your Bible, they all begin with these words, if, if of course you're reading the ESV, the words that each of these begin, the words that each of these Psalms begins with is this, a, a song of ascent. Now, the literal translation of the original Hebrew would be something like a song of the goings up, a song of the goings up, which is a little bit awkward, which is probably why the translators chose a song of the sense, that the late pastor Eugene Peterson gives us an idea of why these are referred to as the songs of goings up. He says this, these 15 psalms were likely sung, possibly in sequence, by Hebrew pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem to the great worship festivals. We have three great worship festivals in particular that are laid out in Deuteronomy 16. God's people were called to return to Jerusalem for these festivals. The festival of of unleavened bread, festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. Now, topographically, Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. And so all who traveled there would spend much of their time ascending. But the ascent was not only literal. And so there's, there's, a, there's a literal reason why these songs are called songs of ascent or songs of goings up, but it's not just literal. He says that it was also a metaphor. 
the trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upward toward God, an existence that advanced from one level to another in developing maturity. What Paul described as the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I might even add a little to Peterson's explanation here. You see, Israel were the covenant people of God. They were God's chosen people, his treasured possession. And as God's covenant people, they were on the receiving end of a number of covenant promises. Take, for example, the Lord's promise, uh, promises made to King David in 2 Samuel 7. By the way, 2 Samuel 7 is going to be a, a key text for this entire sermon series. You're, you're going to want to go there this week. Read it. Dog ear it. Underline it. Mark it. Mark it up. Make, make sure you have a bookmark there. Beginning in verse 12, these are the promises that the Lord made to King David and his people. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so then, the Lord's people journeyed on as pilgrims, anticipating and waiting for the final and full fulfillment of these promises of God, the promises that the Lord had made to his people, promises which we hear today as contemporary Christians with Bible in hand know and understand that all of these promises find their yes and amen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But these psalms, these songs were, were there to guide and encourage God's people on this journey. On this journey of, of growth and maturity, yes, but also on their journey of, of waiting and anticipation and longing for the fulfillment, the final and full fulfillment of these promises. These songs, brothers and sisters, they're, they're a playlist for pilgrims. A playlist for Old Testament pilgrims. And a playlist for pilgrims like you and me. Because make no mistake, we are pilgrims too. On the one hand, we are growing from one level to another in developing maturity. What Paul described as the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. Just like Eugene Peterson said. And on the other hand, we are journeying toward heaven awaiting the full and final fulfillment that God has made to us in Christ Jesus, our King, that, that he will one day return. He has come, and he is coming. So the promise that we have is that he one day is coming again. He's going to return to consummate his kingdom and usher in what, what Revelation calls the new heavens and the new earth. You see that the Psalms of Ascent, they're not just a playlist for Old Testament pilgrims, but they're a playlist for us too. 
And so this summer, we're going to listen carefully to it, song by song, over the next 15 weeks. But before we can fully understand and and appreciate the Psalms of Ascent, I, I think what we need to do today is zoom out a bit and make sure we understand the book of Psalms as a whole. We, we would understand the book itself. So today we're going to have a, a bit of an introduction, not just to the Psalms of Ascent, but to the, the book of Psalms as a whole. And, and so at this point, I just want to give you a, a brief warning. It's going to be a different kind of sermon, right? Because we're going to we're going to do some work of giving ourselves some background and context. And I just want to say this, like my, my desire goal, the win today is to, to whet your appetite for the next 15 weeks, to give us a, a framework and a lens through which to, to view and to study and to meditate upon these 15 Psalms of Ascent. And so without further ado, let, let's start with some basics. Now, you'll find the Psalms roughly in the middle of your Bible, right? And so if you, if you get to like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you've, you've gone too far. In fact, uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible in front of you, I would, I would encourage you to do so. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the pew back in front of you. We have some, some Bibles in the Geneva house you can take home with you as well if you'd like. If you're a read the Bible on a, on a smartphone, on an app kind of person, I want to encourage you to, to put a physical copy in front of you today. We're going to be flipping through the entire book of Psalms. It shouldn't take us long. We should have you done by, we should have you done by dinner. It'll be fine. But here's what I want. I want, you to, I want you to get a sense for the geography of the Scriptures. I, I want to give you a sense of a place in the book of Psalms. And it's, it's hard to have a sense for place uh, without that physical copy. And so if, if you're looking at that, that black hardcover uh, in the pew back in front of you, it's, it's going to be page 448. 448 is the page that we are on. Now, around here, here's what we believe about the Bible. We believe here that the Bible is, in fact, the inspired Word of God. That's what we believe about the Bible. We believe that the Scriptures are inerrant. We believe that the the Bible is sufficient, sufficient for salvation, but also sufficient to to lead the Christian on their journey of of growth and maturity. And, and, And finally, we believe that the Scriptures here are authoritative, if this is, in fact, the Word of God, then, then the, the words of our sovereign king, they, they carry weight. They carry authority. And so the, the Psalms, of course, they're, they're a part of the Bible, which means that the Psalms are a part of the inspired text as well, that the Psalms are inspired. The Psalms are inerrant. The Psalms are sufficient. The Psalms are authoritative. One of the implications of this, that each of the Psalms individually stands on its own as Holy Scripture. And this is is how we often approach the Psalms, isn't it? Individually, right? So you you probably have like a favorite Psalm or maybe a a handful of, of favorite Psalms. Maybe it's Psalm 16, Psalm 23, we heard Pastor Craig just 
pray that a few minutes ago. Psalm 51, for me, Psalm 32 has been a, a hiding place that I've gone to over and over and over. Psalm 62, Psalm 119, Psalm 139, and on and on and on. And look, this is a good thing to do. This is a good thing to do to, to latch on to some of these individual psalms and to treat them as a, kind of a refuge or a hiding place of sorts. But what I want to focus on this morning isn't just the individual psalms, but the book of psalms as a whole, because the psalms are, in fact, a book. In fact, Jesus referred to the psalms as a book in, in Luke 20, where he says, he says this, he's, he's speaking to some religious leaders and he says, for David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And so we see Jesus referred to the Psalms as a collective whole. And so then, we're not, we're not just talking about individual Psalms, but we're talking about the, the collective whole as well. The collective whole has been inspired by our God. Now, to continue the music theme, the music metaphor, the Psalms are much less like a mixtape, and they're much more like a complete album. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one for like kind of playlists that are all over the place, best of albums and all, and all of that. You can have those. What, what I prefer, honestly, what I prefer when I'm listening to music is to listen to an album from the first song to the last song. That's what we have here in the Psalms. And so what that means is that the, the book of Psalms, it has an intentional flow. It has an intentional structure. The structure isn't always chronological, by the way, or, or, uh, or according to the date written. It has an intentional flow and structure. That flow and structure, brothers and sisters, was put there by the Holy Spirit himself as he carried along the human authors. Also, we have embedded themes. They're there on purpose. Embedded messages that it intends to communicate. And a story that the author intends to tell, both to the original audience and to us today as a contemporary audience. And so what this means, as we hit the, sum, the, the, the Psalms of Ascent this summer, is that we need to pay attention, not just to the content of the Psalms, but the manner in which the Psalms are arranged. For example, did you know that the book of Psalms is comprised actually of five separate books, five different books? And if you page through your Bible, you're going to see that it says before Psalm 1. You're going to see it says book 1. This is Psalms 1 through 41. By the way, at this point, I just want to point this out. We've started to post PDFs of our sermon slides um, along with the sermon audio on our website. And so if you want to download all of this information with the quotes and so on and so forth, they're going to be available for you there here the next day or so. Uh, book 2 takes us through Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. Book 3, Psalm 73 to 89. Notice they're not even divisions. Psalm 4 takes us through Psalm or, I'm sorry, book four takes us through Psalm 106. And then finally, uh, book five takes us from Psalm 107 all the way to Psalm 150. Last note, last thing I want to I point out in terms of just structure and what we're seeing here in the Psalms as an inspired text, that many of the Psalms, I believe about 116 of the Psalms, 
begin with a superscript. A superscript, something at the, the very top. It, it's, it's technically for us in our English Bibles, verse 0. In the original Hebrew text, it, it would actually be treated as verse 1. And these superscripts give us lots of, of information. Maybe the author of the psalm, maybe a, a, the type of psalm. Maybe it gives us some historical context into what was happening at the time that it was written. Note this about these superscripts. These were not added editorially later by translators. These superscripts also are inspired text. Okay, these, these superscripts are a part of the inspired word of God. And they're going to provide us with important clues as we make our way through the Psalms today and the Psalms of Ascent this summer. And so let's, let's spend some time now walking through the Psalms. Let's walk through the Psalter and make some observations. Uh, before we do, though, one point that I, I want to make at this point is, is that uh, I have been helped significantly by the, the work and the scholarship of, of a few different individuals. Um, and I, I just want to make that known at this point, just in, in terms of disclosure um, I am standing on the shoulders of, at, at the very least, these three men. First of all, James Hamilton. Um, he is the, the author, the editor of the journal, the scripture journal that we have in the Geneva House for the Psalms of Ascent. He just last year released a two-volume commentary on the Psalms, and it's incredible. Uh, Mark Futado writes a book called Interpreting the Psalms, an, ex- an exegetical handbook, um, and uh, he has some, some really helpful introductory, introductory uh, material as well. And then finally, Ryan Bishop, he's a pastor from Texas who was here in 2019 to give a, a, a workshop on the Psalms. And as a part of that workshop, he, he did much of what we're going to be doing this morning, kind of running us through the book of the Psalms and tracing the storyline that is captured there. Um, and so I'm going to have a few quotes from these guys, but that doesn't do it justice. Know that, um, know that I'm, I'm absolutely standing upon the shoulders of these men and, and, and the work that they've done. And so um, let's, let's jump in to the, to the two psalms that we heard Annie read this morning, Psalms 1 and 2. So if, if the psalms are a unified book, if they are a collective whole, then Psalms 1 and 2 are very tightly connected and, in fact, provide us with the introduction to the book. One one commentator calls Psalms 1 and 2 the front door to the Psalter. And so if you're one of those cheaters that picks up a new book and skips over the introduction and just jumps right into chapter 1, I want to encourage you, don't do that this time. Okay, you're going to want to make sure that you, that you catch the introduction to this book. And we saw in Psalm 1, as it was read, that Psalm 1 divides man into two different groups. On the one hand, we have the righteous, who we're told in verse 1 are blessed. And on the other hand, we have the wicked, who we're told in, verse, in the final verse of the psalm will perish. Now, the, the, the focus of the psalm is on the blessed person as it lays out the path to enjoying blessing and avoiding the curse of the wicked. That's what this, this psalm is laying out for us. It's, it's beckoning us to walk the path of blessing, and it's showing us 
the way. It says negatively, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, number one. Blessed is the man who, number two, does not stand in the way of sinners, nor three, sit in the seat of scoffers. And then positively, it says in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, as we read through this psalm, and if we do it honestly, I think we're presented with a problem. The problem is this. Which of us can say that this describes us? And not just like generally, broadly, but which of us can say that this describes us perfectly, that this describes us flawlessly, that that we have, without exception, walked this path a blessing? And and the answer, brothers and sisters, is, is none of us has. And so then, while this psalm lays out a path to blessing, it also convicts us of having strayed from the path. Commentator Christopher Ash writes of this very important bit that we know as Christians. He says that the recipient of this blessing is, in principle, generic. And so the psalmist is writing to give us general principles about blessing. But in reality, he is singular. Blessed is the man who. The, the, the noun there, man, it, it's, it's singular. For there is only one who truly fits this description, the man Christ Jesus. He uniquely and supremely is the man of Psalm 1. Jesus Christ, this is what we know from, from our vantage point. Jesus Christ is the righteous man. He is the man who has walked the path of blessing perfectly. That then brings us to Psalm 2. In, the Psalm, in Psalm 2, we see the Lord's enemies raging and plotting against him. And then we come to this beginning in verse 6. He says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Interesting phrase. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Does this remind you of anything we've read already today? Maybe the second Samuel blessing that the Lord gave, or the second Samuel promise rather that the Lord gave to David. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like the potter's vessel. And then this, now therefore, O king, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And then this word, this word that we saw at the beginning of Psalm 1, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So in Psalm 1, we see this picture of the righteous man who is blessed. In Psalm 2, we see that blessing is found in the refuge of the the Son. 
in the refuge of the king, in the refuge of the expected Messiah. Christopher Ash again, summarizes these two psalms in this way. He says, if, as we begin the psalms, we are looking for a Psalm 1 man who will be a Psalm 2 king. The king who is righteous and the righteous man who is king. This is what we're looking for. Now, as we begin to page our way through the Psalms, keep this in mind. We're looking for the king who is righteous. We're looking for the righteous man who is king. Why? Because in this man, in this king, brothers and sisters, is blessing, eternal blessing. In this man, in this king, we find the, the fulfillment of the promises of God. And so we've got to keep our eyes open. Let's, let's now, again, Briefly, or, or briefly, let, let's work our way uh, quickly through the Psalms. And what we're going to do, I'm, I want to work our way through these five books. And as we do, I want to look at the bookends of each of the books. And much like a, a, a good book tends to do with an introduction to maybe chapter one and, and the last chapter and maybe an epilogue, it's going to give us an idea of what each of these uh, what, what each of these books is setting out to communicate. The picture that they're setting out to paint. And so, book one. Remember, this is Psalms 1 through 41. Psalm 3 begins with this superscript. If you're looking in your Bibles, you can see it there. It says what? A Psalm of David. David, the great king. Now, I wonder if you're asking the same question that I'm asking, and that is this. Could this be the great king that we're given a picture of in Psalm 2? Is this the righteous man who is king, the king who is righteous? Well, unfortunately, the, the superscript gives us some additional historical context as well, doesn't it? It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And this is how the psalm begins, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. We go to the next psalm, Psalm 4, verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And so in David, and by the way, nearly every psalm in book one is of David, of David, of David, of David, of David. But many of these psalms are laments. And what we have here is a king, rest assured, David is a king. But is, is David experiencing these Psalm 2 promises? No. In fact, it, it appears as though the exact opposite is happening. Instead, what we see both in book one of the Psalms and book two of the Psalms is a picture of a king who suffers. And that plays itself out over and over and over again. As, as again, a number of the Psalms in these two books are laments, complaints, crying out to God in the midst of, of suffering and affliction. And again, most of these psalms are of David. But look, he, he doesn't just suffer, however. Look at continuing down in Psalm 4, verse 4. 
He cries out to God and then, and then says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And then this, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, when he pens these words, nothing has changed about his circumstances. He's still smack dab in the midst of his affliction. And yet he says, you alone make me dwell in safety. I'll lie down in peace. And so God's king suffers, yes. And, it, and in the midst of his suffering, though, he also waits. He waits upon the Lord. Now turn to the end of book one, Psalm 41. We're going to look at the other, the other bookend. And what we see at the end of this psalm is the same suffering, the same waiting. Psalm 41, verse 7, all who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Not only are David's enemies opposing him, but his, his friends are opposing him. In, in, in Psalm 3, we saw that his own son, his flesh and blood, is opposing him. Suffering. But verse 10, also waiting. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. And so book one ends with a bit of a glimmer of hope, doesn't it? A glimmer of hope that, that Psalm 2 blessing might be right around the corner. And that brings us then to Psalm 42 in the beginning of book 2. And what do we see? Psalm 42, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where's your God? King David's son opposes him. His, his friends oppose him. His Enemies oppose him, and now his very tears, they, they mock him. He's suffering. Down to verse 11, we see that he continues waiting as well. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. That's a command. He's commanding his soul to hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, turn to the very end of book two. We're going to look at the, the, the backside bookend, the backside scene to Psalm 72. And right away, in the superscript, we see something kind of peculiar, something we've not seen before. We see that this psalm is of Solomon. Of Solomon. There's only one other psalm where we will see this superscript of Solomon. That happens to be Psalm 127, which is a psalm of ascent. So more on that later. Of Solomon. Now, of Solomon, this could mean by Solomon. This could mean for Solomon. 
I think that's maybe more likely. And this is what we read in Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. What psalm does this remind you of? Maybe Psalm 2 from the introduction. And then verse 17, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as a son. May people be blessed in him. And all the nations call him blessed. There's this blessing language again. And here we see Solomon, the son of David. And I wonder, as you might be wondering, as God's people would have been wondering, could it be that Solomon is the son of David, the long-awaited king who will usher in the blessing of God? In fact, in the very last verse of the psalm, we read this. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And so what we've seen in books one and two is what they've really done. They've, they've traced the life and reign of the suffering and waiting king, King David. And now we have a passing on of the crown. We have a new son sitting on the throne, Solomon, the son of David, who assumes his place. Could this be him? Could this be the king? Could this be the son, a blessing, the righteous man who is king, the king who is righteous? Psalm 73 then, the front end of book three. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible, then you will know that Solomon was not to be the Messiah who would usher in eternal blessing for God's people. In fact, it was under Solomon's son that what would happen to the kingdom? It'd be torn in two. It would be divided. And then we would see the kings that follow, these sons of David. They, they would lead God's people not into blessing, but ultimately into exile. And as we see here in Psalm 73, what, what we begin to see in this third book isn't the people of God prospering, as Psalm 2 expects, but rather Everyone else prospering. God's enemies prospering. The nations prospering. The wicked prospering. And book, book three ends with Psalms 88 and 89. Psalm 88 is probably the most hopeless and despairing psalm in the entire Psalter. In the entire book of Psalms. And then in verse, or, I'm sorry, in, in Psalm 89... Starting in verse 49, we read this. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, by which, your, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Where is your steadfast love? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord. 
with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And so in, in book three, we see not the, the blessing of Psalms 1 and 2 realized, but, but rather the opposite. We see God's people and God's king exiled. That then brings us to book four. And in book four, the beginning of book four, the first psalm, Psalm 90, we see another really interesting and peculiar superscript. A prayer of who? Moses, the man of God. Why Moses? What, what is the reason behind a psalm of, of Moses being placed here in this spot in the book of Psalms? Well, we see Moses more than once plead and mediate with God and intercede on the behalf of his people when they are in danger of destruction. More than once, God is ready to wipe out his people and start over with Moses. And what does Moses do? He goes to God. He goes before the Lord and he pleads on behalf of his people that he would turn his anger from them and have mercy upon them. And now... He's returned to do the very same thing for God's people. As, as Ryan Bishop observed at the workshop I attended in 2019, he says, book four is this transition from chronology to now theology. When the Old Testament needs redemption, it reaches back to its greatest model of redemption. That, that greatest model of redemption is Moses and the Exodus. Mark Futado in his book, says that the program begun with David in book one and effectively transferred to Solomon in book two, this program that is a, a seeking out, a seeking after blessing, seems at the end of book three to have been aborted. Books four or five are a, a twofold answer to the crisis of faith raised at the end of book three. This answer can be summarized with the words faith and hope. That's what these last two books, these final two books, four and five, are calling us to. Book four, calling us to faith, and book five, calling us to hope. Book four is a reminder to the exiled people of God that while there is no Davidic king ruling on the throne, while they may not have a human king, they still have a savior and a king. And that savior and king is who? But God himself God himself is king. And so book four calls God's people to place their faith and trust in their God who is king. That then brings us to the fifth and final book, which begins in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, beginning in verse one. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands. Remember, they've been in exile. And here we have a picture of a God who gathers, who gathers his exiled people who, and gathered them in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, the east, west, North-South, this is a comprehensive gathering. That's why we have East-South, North-West. North, 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 north 
It's a comprehensive gathering of God's people. And then, despite the fact that we were told at the end of book two that the, psalm, that, that the prayers of David had ended, whose name do we read in the superscripts of Psalm 108, 109, and 110? Whose name is there? A psalm of David. Huh. I thought he was done. The question we should be asking ourselves at this point is, who's this David? Uh, I think Psalm 110 gives us the answer. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Quoted some eight times. Psalm 110 is even quoted by Jesus himself in Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 20, parallel passages. And in this context, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 to reveal to his listeners that he is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. He reveals himself to be the expected Davidic king, the, the Davidic king that God's people have been waiting for since 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic king that God's people have been anticipating all the way back since the, the, the introduction to the book of Psalms in Psalm 1 and 2. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Christ. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm, and it's screaming Jesus' name. This is the hope that the Son of David gives us. He gives us the hope of the blessing that we saw all the way back at the beginning of the book of Psalms. Book 5 calls God's people to set their hope on the coming king, on the son of David, who, who we know, of course, is Jesus, who will once again, who will gather together God's exiled people, and he will save them and bring them the blessing that they have been looking for for ages. And it's in the context of this fifth and final book, this book of hope, that we find the Psalms of Ascent. I want to end with this. Eugene Peterson, once again, he writes this. The, the Psalms of Ascent are songs of transition. Brief hymns that provide courage, support, and inner direction for getting us to where God is leading us in Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, the world, the world whispers. Why bother? There's plenty to enjoy without involving yourself in all that. The past is a graveyard. Ignore it. The future is a holocaust. Avoid it. There's no payoff for discipleship. There is no destination for pilgrimage. This is what the world tells us. They say, forget all of that. That's garbage. It's a waste of your time. But for those who choose to live no longer as tourists, and what are tourists here to do? But you just soak it all up. They're not really going anywhere. They're just here, here to enjoy it all, to take it all in. 
to consume. For those who choose to live no longer as tourists, but as pilgrims, pilgrims are going somewhere. The songs of ascent combine all the cheerfulness of a travel, of a travel song, it's supposed to say, of a travel song with the practicality of a guidebook and map. Their unpretentious brevity is excellently described by William Faulkner, who says, they're not monuments, but footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far, while a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. So brothers and sisters, you and I, we're pilgrims on a journey, a journey of discipleship, a journey of, of growth and maturity, growing in, in Christ-likeness, a journey of, of expectation and, and waiting on the Lord, much like King David did, waiting for our king to fulfill his promise to return and to consummate his kingdom, a, a journey toward eternal rest, eternal peace, eternal joy and glory, a journey towards eternal blessing in the new heavens, in the new earth. And look, it's, it's probably going to be a long journey. It's probably going to be a difficult journey marked by suffering and setback. From time to time, you might even catch yourself saying, are we there yet? But fortunately, fortunately, we've been given a, a playlist for the journey. We've been given music to, to beckon us on along the path, music that, that says, this is where I was when I moved again. And so, this summer, we're going to press play. And we're going to listen to the music. And Lord willing, God will, will encourage us on the path as pilgrims. Let's pray. Father, you are you're a God of promises. You're a God of promises. But unlike the promise makers in our world, you are the great promise keeper. You don't make empty promises or half-fulfilled promises. But you are, you are a God who, who keeps your word, who fulfills your promises. And Lord, we, we thank you that your promises all find their yes and amen. They, they terminate in King Jesus. And we thank you that the son of David, the great Messiah, the King Jesus has come. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us on the path as pilgrims to the new heavens and new earth as we await his return. Lord, would you use this summer in this playlist of Psalms to, to encourage us and to spur us along the path. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.